You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith in conversations with my friends and family. And this week, I am talking with my friend and former associate pastor, Rich. When I last saw Rich in person, it was 2018, and he and his wife were leaving the church plant we were part of to plant a church of their own. But these days, when I see Rich on the gram, he is living his best life, unchurched and happy with his new partner. It's a story of living the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's episode 2.14, and it is lit. Let's go. My friend, former associate pastor, Rich. Yes, Hi, what's Rich. up? Hi. So good to see you. Same here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Because I've been enjoying seeing you on the ground. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I got to Yeah. You know, you only got one life to live, so just trying to live it. <laughs> Listen, that's it. All right. So, so I met you as part of a church plant in 2017. Yeah, you were the associate pastor. Yeah, and it was like a for be- lack of a better word, kind of an internship. Mm-hmm. So you guys were kind of helping build one church in mm-hmm. preparation to plant your own. Yeah, so we had about a year of building this church together. Yeah. Um, and then you and your wife left to go plant your church in Brooklyn. Right. And then not long after that, things for me at the church plant kind of blew up. So right. And I was out um, and then just kind of, you know, lost track of you guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Brooklyn mm-hmm. is a long way away. Yes. <laughs> yes. And life happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then life happened and then started seeing you on Instagram. And I was like, oh, this is a... Mm-hmm. A different rich, <laughs> yeah. a, a different life. Yes, and, it is. And he looks happy. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's it's so real. And I was just talking <laughs> with um, Daniel about this the other day. Yeah. How you know, in Christianity, a lot of times when you say, "Oh, someone looks happy," mm-hmm. that's like code for, "Oh, they're sinning," mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> sin feels good for a season, right? But, <laughs> Right. You know, because Christianity, happiness is not the goal. No, not. right. Yeah. If you're happy, it's, it's, it can't be God. You know, it has to Something's be something. Something's wrong. Else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when I say you look happy and it makes me happy to see that, like, that's so, so sincere. I'm just, oh, I get, I I get like, choked up with a lot of you guys. And I'm like, oh, they're literally oh. living their best lives. And it's so. Oh, thank you so good to see well i appreciate the love i feel the love so thank you nothing but love Mm -hmm. um so yeah so obviously we met at a church we were in it we were doing it yes so we were both very much christian at one point yes yes Um, yes 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 (laughs) it's questionable whether or not i still am so rich give me three things that to you make someone a christian that's really good. You know, I think coming from two perspectives of being a pastor and then just being someone who's not a pastor um, and the way that I've, I live my life now. Um, but these were three things that were true to me even when I was pastoring. Um, I think that, they, you know, big, big thing for me is humility. I think, you know, in the church, we, we, see, we see people come to church or come and lead from the pulpit without humility. So humility is a huge thing for me. 
uh, I think humanity, like the church is just lacking uh, on how to treat people humanely and despite differences and agendas. Um, so humanity is a big thing for me. Uh, and the biggest, 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 biggest thing for me, and I live by this in all areas of my life, and it's probably what you see now is a difference is vulnerability. Um, I think those are the three things that's required um, to be a healthy Christian, right? Not just being a Christian, but being a healthy Christian is humility, humanity, and vulnerability for me. Ooh, well, damn it, Rich. <laughs> that. I guess this week I would have to say, yeah, I would hope I am a Christian. Woo! Um, We're on the same page this week then. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't happen often anymore. Right. So. <laughs> join the party. <laughs> um, yeah, let's join the party. So let's yes. let's talk about it. Let's do it. Rich, tell me, tell me some of your story. Absolutely. Your journey into and out of? No, still into. Yeah. Into and deeper into Christianity. Into, right. Um, you know, so I think just the perfect place for me to start is just kind of like my upbringing. You know, I was not raised in the church at all. Um, the church to me growing up didn't seem like a place that my family belonged, right? Because uh, Sunday morning, a lot of people who went to church looked like these wholesome families that had it together and, you know, church looked like and felt like to me as a young Latino boy in Brooklyn, that was a place that you didn't bring your baggage to, right? Um, obviously now knowing Christianity, we know that's probably, that's backwards, but, that, and and that's still a huge issue. Uh, but for me, the church didn't seem like a place that my, myself and my family belonged. Um, and so I was raised with my grandmother and my grandfather, um, with my, with my brother and, you know, cause my mom was in and out of prison and she struggled with drug addiction and my dad was in and out of prison as well. And so just growing up in Brooklyn was just a really tough life. And so didn't really have, you know, my grandfather was amazing. Like he was a man who got up and worked and showed me work ethic. Um, but growing up as a young man, one of the things that you're looking for is a role model. It's someone to, you know, look like and mimic. And my grandfather was amazing in a lot of ways, but he wasn't physically around because he was always working to provide for us. Um, and so I just always kind of navigated this thin line of like trying to find people I belong to. And so, you know, I figured, well, people who look like me and they speak like me, well, then I must belong to that group of people. Right. And so later on in life, what I learned is like just because you identify with a group of people doesn't mean you belong doing what they're doing. Um, you know, but I made a lot of wrong decisions in my teenage years of like partying and drinking and fighting and dropping out of high school. Um and doing all these wild, crazy things. And part of it was just struggling with identity. Like, where do I belong? You know, I don't necessarily feel like I'm shaped like the men in my family who are, you know, very much choose a wild life of like, you know, criminal lifestyle and selling drugs and all that sort of stuff. Um, but being different in my context where I'm from Brooklyn was wrong, you know, was wrong. It was kind of like being a sellout. So it was really this constant battle of who I am and who I want to be. Um, when I was about, so I was 17, about to turn 18, I met my ex-wife, we worked together. And so she was a person who went to church and she was newer in church. Like she was a babe in Christ, what we can see, you know, someone who just got saved. Um, and she wasn't interested in dating any guys, you know, like, especially when you're a new, you know, believer, you're like, I'm absent, you know, I'm like saving myself for the Lord. Um, but then, you know, here comes this, you know, young Latino boy who's like, looks like a bag of trouble comes around. Um, and so, you know, for me, I really wanted to impress her and, she was really kind and everything. And so one of the things I would do is that I would go to church with her. That was one of the ways that I would spend time with her was go to church with her. Um, you know, we started dating and, and that. And I still didn't believe in this whole church thing because it was just like the place that I went to um, go with her because it was like the one place she would spend time with me. Um, and again, again, I still didn't feel comfortable in this space. Uh, you know, it wasn't 
And part of it just felt like still like everyone was very like buttoned up and put on their best Sunday appearance. Um, and I, I think most people who know me, like pretty much usually what you see is what you get from me. And like, there's no cookie cutter kind of way around it. And so coming around to people who like seem like they're being something for a day was a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward uh, about a year and a half later or so, uh, we got pregnant with my daughter. And so I was 19 at this point and um, we uh, had my daughter came home and, you know, I'm 19 years old with a baby and I'm a baby myself. And, but I knew I had to grow up really fast, you know, like I didn't have the opportunity to kind of like wait around and sit around. Um, and so I, you know, first started focusing on my career, started going to church more because it felt like the adult thing to do. Um, but I also think part of it was me searching for something, like searching for something bigger than myself, like having a daughter and being a dad and not having a father figure and a clear father role model. Like I struggled with like, where do I find out how to be? And so, you know, going to church all the time, you hear about Jesus being this father figure. And I'm like, well, great. There's my template. There's my like role model. And so, you know, that was kind of like the first place that I was like, oh, maybe there's something more here to this like Jesus guy, this Christianity thing. So that was that was kind of like the the start that made me kind of start thinking about Christianity. I'm like, man, maybe there's something here more to it. This guy, you know, like, because for me, it's like either this guy is completely crazy or like he is who he says he is. Like, it's just could only be one of two things. Um, and I'm very pragmatic. Like, I'm very like, I need a reason, a sign, a signal. Like, I need everything to make me believe in something. And I think that, uh, you know, there was a day where I was like really struggling as like being a young father you know, having, uh, you know, at the time, just, you know, my girlfriend and my daughter, um, we're living together and I'm looking for something more. And I remember uh, the the pastor of this church, and it's a very well-known church in the city. And, you know, he was talking about Jesus being the father. And he was talking about the story of the prodigal son. And it just like pulled at my heart. And it was just like, you know, they were doing altar call. And, you know, altar call can be one of those things that's like, it's like a double-edged sword. Like you're so tempted to get up and go because you feel like he's talking to me. Um, and that week I actually didn't get up and go. It was the following week I came back and he was like following up part two of the sermon. And um, just, he was like, you know, there's someone in here, like this story's for you. Like, you know, you didn't have a father role model. And I was just kind of like, I need a sign. I need a sign. I needed the light to shine on me. I needed a camera to shine on me, like something. And I, I can't recall exactly what it was. It was the camera, the light, something. And I was like, hey, this is my sign. And I went up and gave my life to Jesus. Aww. Yep. So, yeah, I know that was that was my like, you know, five minute version of fast, fast version of my life. But that's kind of was like my introductory, you know, my like way into Christianity at 19 years old. After you corrupted that church, girl. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that actually was a narrative for a little while. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, 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 absolutely right. (laughs) So there's a lot of talk now. As yeah. a lot of people are deconstructing and yeah. as, you know, a lot of stuff and a lot of churches are just coming to light. Yeah. Um, and everybody's focused on the problems in like the evangelical church. Yeah. I think that's what I came out of. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's what you came out of? And when did you like, when did you kind of know what brand of Christianity you were in? Yeah. So for me being newer and, you know, when I was first a Christian for me, like, you know, talking about denominations, all that sort of stuff was like speaking another language to me. Um, it wasn't until, uh, as we became deeper into that church where I got saved, um, that things just became uncomfortable for us. Like, you know, there's like, you've experienced this, like, there's just a time where it's like, okay, this church isn't for me anymore. Like there's something that is just not clicking. Um, and it's, you know, like if this is a place that's making me feel like it's dragging me down and not welcoming, there's a problem. And so through that phase, 
it's kind of when I started exploring, like, okay, what does this Christianity thing look like? Or what is this institution, right? Because what's, you know, everyone talks about Jesus, but everything that I see shows me this machine of it, of what the church is. And we're like losing the person that we're supposed to be here worshiping. Um, and so I, um, we had another family in our uh, kids' school that was part of planting a new church in Brooklyn. And so they were like, why don't you guys come? And so we showed up and this church was you know, they were planting a church in Brooklyn, but all the leadership was really white. Like it was predominantly white, like a white Australian guy planting, you know, these churches in New York City and particularly like in Brooklyn, that's like predominantly African-American, Afro-Caribbean community. And so for me, that was kind of like, hold on, wait a minute, pump the brakes. I need to do some research. And they will, you know, they categorize themselves as non-denominational, but being there, you will see that it was very linked to the evangelical world, right? And, you know, for me, some of, you know, some of the struggles that I have and still, that I had and still have, and even as being a pastor and a leader, um, were a lot of the, like, things that felt very um, ritualistic and very rule-based. And I think, you know, when we talk about the evangelical church, we talk about a lot of rules, right? And so for me, when people say, are you evangelical? I'm like, that sounds like you asking me if I have all these rules that I abide by and I struggle with that because when there's rules, the reason there's rules in places is because we're always trying to keep something out. Um, and it's not necessarily trying to keep some, you know, welcome people. And so I really struggle with evangelicals and the word evangelicals or even being part of the evangelical world. I don't consider myself an evangelical. Um, I just think that it's a loaded word. And I think that um, the evangelical, you know, church has to really do some work to deconstruct themselves. As many of us continue to leave, I don't think, you know, we, uh, it's our job to do that. You know, it's kind of like self-growth for ourselves, right? Like we had, no one can come and do the work we need to do for ourselves. And I, you know, I feel the same about the evangelical world. Yeah. No longer an evangelical, obviously I'm out, but I mean, in the evangelical world, Mm -hmm. you are an evangelical dream. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the, the ultimate dream, obviously, is the cis, hetero, white, married right. male. Right. But you were all of that except white. Right. You know, oh, agreed. And, totally agree. You know, and the evangelical church, like you said, these Australians coming in, mm-hmm. you know, and planting. Like, it's crazy. There are multiple yeah. Australian branches. You know? Of church, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And so it's this, this colonization model. No, and, agreed. you know. They're having to branch out to get people of color. Mm-hmm. So then they need people of color in these leadership, you know, positions yep. to attract folks. Yep. And um, boom, you and just you hit on something. And that was when my ex-wife and I first came around. Um, we that was actually a lot of language that was used. Like, oh my gosh, we've been praying for people like you, right? And by people like us, they meant native Brooklynites who are people right. of color. So it was different saying we've been praying for people like you who whatever, like. It could be anything, but it, it was very clear that when you looked around the room, it was like, no, we've been praying to people like you too, who are, you know, believers, who are people of color, who are from this neighborhood, because it was an easy, um, it was it was a great storyline for the church. It was a great storyline for the plant. And what people don't know about church planting and in the evangelical world is that, you know, you need the white man to lead the church, but you need the people like us to bring the coins from the big evangelical church, right? And so people don't know that the church plant thing is like any other church business. When you start a startup and have to go raise money, kind of like Shark Tank. And we were that thing, that prop that made it easier uh, to sell that okay. story for the church. So. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we met in one one incarnation of that. Yes. Like, so you guys were, were interning to start yep. your own. Yep. Um, and then you did. And then that is... That's the dream, right? To be the pastor of a church. Right. Right. So you got it. Mm-hmm. 
the last time I saw you, mm -hmm. that's what you were doing. Right. And now a few years later, mm -hmm. nah. no more. <laughs> no more. <laughs> Not at all. Nope. <laughs> and so, so the question I originally had was, you know, what gave you the strength and courage to change your whole life? But mm -hmm. then I was thinking about it today. I was like, oh, you actually didn't change your whole life. Like right. you chose your chose whole life. life. Absolutely. You, you weren't living right. your whole life. It's your whole self. Very so true. what happened? Like, how do you go from having it yeah. all? Yeah, that's a great, great question. You know, it's one of those things that I reflect on often. Um, I think one of the biggest things that people don't understand about being a pastor um, is that leadership is lonely. You know what I mean? And so when you spend a lot of time by yourself and with yourself, you start to you start all the things that you've suppressed for years and years and years and years and years. They start coming up, you know, inevitably. And so for me as a person who's having to uh, sit by myself often, prepare sermons, write sermons, I'm traveling to all these different states and preaching at all these big churches and conferences and in those moments, like you, you can literally be in a room with 5,000 people and preach and get off the stage and be alone. And in those moments of, of loneliness, it's like, well, what am, why am I doing this, right? If I'm doing what, like, what's the point if I get off the stage and if I'm walking alongside people, but I literally cannot care for myself. Um, and so I started having a lot of anxiety issues. Like I was having issues with sleep and anxiety. And so I was just like, man, something's wrong here. I need to figure out what that thing is. Um, in the midst of that, like I had... My grandfather who raised me, who essentially was my father figure, had passed away. And so for me, it was just like I came to this point where I was like, I can either continue to play the part and be what the church wants me to be um, or I need to just live my life. And for me, it was just like, how can I worship a God who I literally get up and tell people loves you unconditionally, you know, and all these amazing things about this God that I believe in. I've seen miracles happen in front of my eyes. But when it came to me and being able to live my truth, I felt like I would not be accepted or that I would have to walk in shame or guilt. And I just got to the point where was like, there's no way the God that I worship wants that for me. Like, there's just no way that I would believe that this person who I, I literally go around the country preaching about and get up on Sundays and set up a church for and do this for would want me to live a life anything other than with abundance. Um, and so it was one of those things that wasn't a long process for me. Like, I just was just like, this is the, I'm going to do this. And I stepped down from church and, you know, my ex-wife and I, we separated immediately. And I just made the decision that like, man, this is hard. And this is, this hurts because, you know, like there's so many, there's so much collateral damage, right? Because like it affects my ex-wife and it affects my kids and it affects the church and, and the people who walk alongside us in the church. It also affects uh, people's perception. And so when we talk about evangelicals and we talk about church planting, this big machine behind us who were, who was raising all this money, like they wanted to keep things on the hush hush because, right. Cause they get a cut of that money. And so there was all these different pressures, but for me, I just made the decision to say, you know, if I can't live my truth and be happy, like there's no point of me doing what I'm doing. And so I just made the decision to do it. It was extremely hard. And there's days even now where it's hard. Um, but I will be honest and say that this is the healthiest that I've ever been in my life, like emotionally, healthy um ever so yeah so what like what was that timeline so 2017 you're planting mm -hmm. one church 2018 you guys are doing yours mm -hmm. right and then 2019 um a lot of things started changing and happening um and it was for me in the midst of like you know span over a few months of saying like man there's something here like i'm feeling these feelings um you know i feel like something's changing and then I just kind of like pulled the trigger for lack of a better term. It was really a short time span, like maybe a couple months, like two months, three months that I kind of like, you know, felt things, knew things, changed things. Like it was immediate for me because it felt like life or death for me. Right. Like it felt like my anxiety felt like it, like oh, there was nice. And part of it, 
there was nights where I would pray and be like, Jesus, change me or take me. Because I, for me to have to come out and for me to have to change and do all these things that people I knew knew I knew people were gonna have a hard time understanding, it felt like it would be easier, right? If he just changed me, fixed me, like the church likes to say, pray things away, or take me, like one or the other. But for me, it couldn't be like for me to live the life that I wanted to live. And those are my prayers some nights, like Jesus, please take me or change me, like change me, take me or change me. And you know, He did change me, and I feel you know, but it was in a different way than we probably imagined. Uh, but you know, and like I, you know, it is what it is now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my next question was, you know, as people are deconstructing, there are these yeah. two schools of thoughts, and people are like, "Oh, you walked away from Jesus," mm-hmm. and a lot of us are like, "No, I actually followed Jesus out." Mm-hmm. Um, so I would ask you that, but I, I feel like, no, you followed Jesus out. I'm right out the door. Like, I feel like he opened the door and he was like, let's go, you know? Um, and yeah, you know, for me, I, people always, and people ask me this all the time, or like, I, you know, Rich, are you still a believer? Are you still a Christian? And, you know, especially, you know, uh, people in the LGBTQ world, they constantly ask me that. And I'm always like, I'm still a believer. I'm still a Christian. I still believe in Jesus. I do not believe in the institution of the church. I do not believe in the machine and the behemoth of what Christianity has become. Um, but I follow Jesus out the door. For me, I felt like I've always been the type of person that, like, I really believe in hearing God's voice. I really believe in not moving until he tells me to move. And this was one of those situations where he was like, you know, like, like, like it was kind of like, what are you waiting for? Like, I'm already here at the door and you're still sitting there playing around. Um, and I was just like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. And we walked out the door. And yeah. But I did. I did. I didn't feel like for me, I didn't feel like with everything that was happening, walking away from Jesus, because I still felt him with me through the process. Right. Like I didn't feel necessarily hurt by Jesus. I felt hurt by the church. Um, and I had to learn how to separate the church from who God is. And um, it took me a little minute to get there. But I think once I was able to separate the church hurt and Jesus, then I was like, oh, this is clear for me. Like, this is the person I'm following. Yeah. Ooh. So with so with your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Was it something like you knew before and you're like, oh, I'm going to put that aside. Mm-hmm. Was this a new thing? Do you think like your grandfather dying kind of like even allowed you to be like, oh, this is, mm-hmm. this is a thing. Right. Like, because you, you know, you came into church pretty yeah. young. Yes. Yeah. So still a teenager, you know, in this yeah. relationship, married with kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah, yeah. You're here. No, you know, so growing up in the environment I grew up, I grew up in a very machismo environment. Like my family is Latino. And so all the men in my family, you know, my all my uncles are very machismo. And so I grew up in an environment where they said, you know, boys don't cry or stop crying like a little bee or, you know, all these this terminology. So for me um, growing up, you know, like, yes, I always felt something. And I think, you know, I also, you know, to be transparent here is that I've I had experienced like, um, you know, sexual abuse as a kid. And so for me, I didn't I didn't know how to rationalize was like, was what I'm feeling based off from that? Or was it something that, you know, was pushed on me? Like, I, it was so many feelings. And so I just, the way that I dealt with it was just like suppress, 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 suppress. And so as I got older, I always thought like, you know, they always feel like there's that feeling. They're like, man, you know, like, oh man, that guy's attractive. Or like, you know, these different things. But I always felt like it wasn't, too, it wasn't right for two reasons. One, because it was what I was taught. And two, is what the church teaches. And so because of those, the combination of those two things, it felt wrong. And so um, there was a part of me that I want to say that knew, um, or let me not say knew, there's a part of me that felt, um, but it wasn't for sure confirmed knew until, you know, like a, that, you know, the few years back, that kind of was like when I made the decision. Um, and so for me, you know, it was one of those things that suppressed, but once I was comfortable and it made sense to me, I was like, oh, this all makes sense. And like, I feel whole now. Oh, that's so, 
I don't know, like, like stories like yours, you know, cause I, I don't know what to do with mm-hmm. a lot of Christianity a lot of times. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, being raised evangelical, everything is black and white. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I still want it to be. Yeah. You know? So then, you know, with stories like yours, like it's so beautiful, so crazy and also so messy. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, in the midst of yeah. being this pastor and doing, yeah. doing the God thing. Yeah. You know, where you felt the freest to be like, oh no, this is actually who I am. And I can actually give this up. Yes. I find that the I've I've found in my experience, and I'll speak for myself, that I found that the church kept me more in bondage than right. when we talk about things like sin and stuff like that. And so, you know, for me to be participating in an environment that keeps me in bondage and that, you know, I'm getting up on Sunday and I'm, you know, essentially doing the same things to others, you know, and I really to be fair, like I worked very hard to stay away. Like I hate preaching about um, sin um, and not because of it's like, oh my gosh, like it's a taboo topic. But for me, I'm just like, I want the church to be a place where people leave lighter than when they came in. And so I really struggle because I constantly feel like, why is the church beating a dead horse with this thing? Because people are leaving heavier when they came. They're feeling you know, more shame, more guilt. I don't want people leaving the same way they came in. And so I stood away from talking about that, those, you know, talking about sin, because I felt like it was my job to give people the tools that they needed um, to live a healthy lifestyle. Um, so, you know, but I did participate. You know, I can't I'm not going to sit here and be innocent uh, because I, there was a time in my life where I did participate, but it was the very thing that was keeping me in bondage. Um, and I just think that is one of those things for people. It's a different experience for every person in their walk. And for some people, they find freedom in the church and they find freedom being there for me, I don't. I personally still don't. I, I Sunday mornings I will get up and listen to worship music. My partner will tell you I will worship on Sundays, but y'all will not step foot in a church. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you're further along than me. Like, yeah, yeah. Not, not even worship music. I'm like, no, yeah. I don't. Okay. Listen, you get the your journey is your journey. Though I think that's the beauty of it, though. Really, with us, I think we yeah. those of us coming from the church world and been in it a little bit longer. Um, I think the beauty is that we've always. In the church world, you feel rushed on a lot of things. You feel like you have to figure it out. You have to know all the right things and say the right things and be the right things. But I feel like for you and I, like we get the opportunity really to just, just, just take our time and explore. Like I don't have it all figured out now, but I have. I don't feel that pressure that I felt in the church of saying, "Here's the expectation in the bar: meet it or bounce." You know. And for me, I'm just like I'm gonna live my life, and you know, my advice to you is live your life. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's mm-hmm. that's what's happening. Good. <laughs> But yeah, so as somebody like raised in Christianity, I knew that being gay was wrong Mm -hmm. before I even knew what, you know, being gay was. Right. Um, And so there's just, there's a lot of conversations to be had just about Mm -hmm. so many of the internal, just the internal hatred we're taught to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Just internalized homophobia, just internalized patriarchy, Mm -hmm. internalized racism. Like... You know, even as people of color, yeah, being in these white, white-run spaces, mm-hmm. like they're just all these things we just have to fight. Yeah. How did you combat that? How are you combating it? Because it's that's, a- yeah, it's that's 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 a better statement. It's it's a constant struggle, to be honest. Even being someone now who's comfortable with my sexuality, I identify as being gay. Um, I constantly have to undo a lot of biases that I've learned, right? So being someone in the LGBTQ plus community, I have to undo a lot of my own biases based off of one, my upbringing and based off of two, what Christianity taught me. Um, And sometimes it's even 
you know, little things, the idea of what I thought a gay person was or looked like or acted like or dressed like. And, you know, and, and even for me, and this is like completely transparent moment of vulnerability, like I will get dressed and sometimes look in the mirror and be like, I look too gay. You know, like I'm constantly having to undo those bias, un, you know, do undo those biases for myself. Um, so it's a constant struggle. It's a, you know, it's every single day. Um, and it's, you know, deconstructing those biases that I've learned, but it's also deconstructing the idea of what I should be as a gay. Like, you know, what am I to be? Like, you know, I walk into some spaces, I'm like, I'm too masculine for this space. Or, you know, so it's like con this constant struggle of like trying to be present in the moment. And fortunately I have a partner who he will call me out on my mess in a hot minute. Um, and, you know, so for me, it's like really undoing that um, and acknowledging that I do have biases based off of those things that I learned. I think if anybody who thinks like, oh, I can just change my life and I'm, yeah, I'm gay now, but there's still a lot of things that I have to learn. You know, and there is guilt and shame sometimes that comes along with that because of the things that I've learned uh, and the things that, you know, the Bible teaches us or the church teaches us. Um, and so sometimes it's a struggle. I know early on for me coming out, it felt like I walked with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and it felt easier for me to just not even talk about my sexuality. And it felt easier for me to do things in the dark of like where I was at and who I was going out with and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, essentially cleaning out like my social media because it was easier for for new people to see who I was than it was for old people to see. So, you know, it's a constant struggle day to day, to be honest. Yeah. So in kind of jumping back to, yeah. you know, the church planning organization, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm just thinking about Hillsong and how Hillsong is mm -hmm. burning down. And yes. like, as I'm thinking more and more about it, I'm like, you know, church claims to be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. it claims to be a family, it claims to be a home. Mm. Um, and so like one of my issues with Hillsong is no transparency. Mm -hmm. And so all these things are happening and they'll only acknowledge it like when they have to. Yeah. So with your, with your church plant, mm -hmm. like how much transparency was there? Was it because like, if I go now and I go look at that yeah. church website, yeah, it's like, you it's never cleaned existed. out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's, it's white. Um, and to and to be fair, I'm the person who actually wiped it before I left. So um, I kind of like cleaned it because I didn't want to leave that burden to my ex-wife. Um, I think one of the things, you know, when I stepped away, I stepped away. Um, I didn't have any conversations with any of the congregants in the church at the time. Um, and it wasn't for me about hiding, but for me, I felt like that was my ex-wife's space. And, and, and it's, it's her calling, it's her passion. And I... And she's extremely gifted and I would, you know, argue anybody to the death of me to say that she's not called to pastor and lead a church. So I really wanted to honor that. And so I felt for me, I didn't, whatever story came out, I felt like it was important for her to feel empowered to tell the story. That yes, it's what I decision I'm making is on me, but it is, you know, I didn't want there to be a people feeling like they have to pick a side. I wanted people to pick her side. I didn't want the church to feel like, you know, we should change because, you know, Pastor Rich wants to change. I felt like, no, this is the thing that is, is best for, uh, for, for the church and was best for her. Um, so there's people in the congregation who know, um, you know, fortunately for us at the time, the church wasn't really that big um, at that particular time. And so obviously now it's much different and, you know, you know, she's still leading the church and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot more new people. So I don't know how much people do know. Um, Fortunately, me and my ex-wife are on, you know, great terms and we speak and we take the kids on vacation and we do all those things. Um, and one of these conversations, this actually conversation came up when we were actually on vacation with the kids back in April. Um, and, you know, she asked, like, man, you know, how comfortable are you with me telling people your story? And I was like, well, it's your story, too, you know, uh, and I'm comfortable with it. And so she's a person who's really honest. And I know she shared, she shared it, that sort of stuff. 
So, you know, I don't know how much they do or don't know, but for me, it's not one of those things that I think myself or even she's embarrassed of. Um, I just think it's one of those things of, you know, if it comes up, it comes up. Um, I, I know she has spoken about it, uh, but yeah. Oh, like, I'm so glad it's not like animus. Like it's no, no, it's yeah, <laughs> yes. Cause you guys, like I loved, I just loved your relationship. Oh, thank you. Like I loved your vibe and you know, I loved like your parenting vibe. Oh, thank you. Just the way you were just making sure and still making sure like your yeah. kids are well-rounded. Absolutely. Well-traveled. Like yes. just, yes. just, just good people. Yeah. You know, with lots of different experiences. Yeah. So you're a dad. Yeah, I am. You're a good dad. I, thank you. I love, it's actually one of the things I love. And I feel like I've been called to nothing else in this world that is certainly to be a dad. So I absolutely love, love being a dad. Um, you know, I think you hit on something of like, man, making, you know, kids being well-rounded. And I think in the church, we miss those opportunities. And so honestly, other pastors have sometimes, you know, even had conversations of question our parenting style being pastors, because we were the type of pastors that like, you know, if there was something mornings and our kids didn't feel like going, guess what? We're not forcing our kids to go to church on Sunday morning because we're the pastors. Um, you know, being PKs are very hard and there's already expectations and burdens. And people will shame your kids for this very same thing that their kids is doing. But because they're the PKs, there's like this different expectation. Um, so, you know, we really didn't want the church to be a place that our kids resented. Um, we wanted to wanted it to be something that they enjoyed coming, that it felt like a choice. And so, you know, we, we want a church to feel like it was as any other part of their life, right? Like they go to school and if they choose to participate in an activity that they're excited about, amazing, great. Um, sometimes they don't want to go to the activity. Sometimes they don't want to pursue that dance class, that singing lesson. And we want a church to feel like that as well. Fortunately, like, you know, at the age they're at now, you know, one's a teenager and one's about to be a teenager. And they actually still really love church and they talk about it all the time and that sort of stuff. But yeah, you know, and it's been it's been constantly navigating of a space for them and for me, especially with this big change in my life, you know? Yeah. So So in this parenting vibe, Rich, what are you teaching your kids about sexuality? Yeah. Has that messaging changed? Like what yeah. yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. I think so, you know, for me it's been really important to um go at their pace. Um because kids already feel like they lose so much power and they lose so much stability in the midst of a divorce, right? You lose everything that you know, the house, the home you lived in, the your parents being together, everything that's normal is literally flipped upside down. And so for me, it was one of those things that we were pacing. Um, and so in constant, you know, communication with my ex-wife of like, man, you know, checking in how are they, how are they handling this, how are they handling the divorce? They didn't know up until a certain point. They only found out it's been maybe now, maybe like uh, eight months or so now since they know, um, since we've been separated. Um, and you know, my conversation with them was like, you guys don't have to choose a side, right? Like, you don't, mom's a pastor and she'll believe, she can believe what she believes about, you know, sexuality and dad's no longer a pastor. And I can believe what I, I want about sexuality. And you guys have the opportunity to pick what you believe about sexuality. You don't have to choose a side. Mom's not right or wrong. Dad's not right or wrong. And I think for them that just released so much burden and expectation because, kids naturally want to be loyal to their parents, right? And so, right. Uh, you know, that puts kids in a really hard space. It's, you know, it's hard enough when kids, you go through a divorce and, the, you know, the dad moves on or the, and has a new wife. And so you take on your, you know, a divorce, your dad moving on, and now he has a partner who's a male, same-sex partner, uh, and they're living together. And so, you know, that was a lot for them. 
but we really went at their pace. I really leave it to them. Um, I allow them to ask questions. I don't, you know, I really work hard to not make them seem like the questions are dumb or wrong or stupid. You know, we also have to realize that they were an environment where we taught them what we taught them um, right. about, you know, sexuality and LGBTQ plus and the church's stance and all that sort of stuff. And so now it's no different than the work that I had to do. Um, but for me, I just feel like they're kids and I want them to be kids and they're going to, you know, they're going to continue to be well-rounded and exposed and we travel and they know different things and they watch different things. They're around different people. But for me, it's important for them to feel empowered, to feel like, believe what you want to believe, you know, like you guys, it doesn't change. Like dad is still dad. Like I'm going to still love you no matter what. And, you know, I still feel the love from them. And so I just, I don't, I don't personally feel it's important for me to make them feel to make them believe what I believe. Um, and I don't feel like it's important for the, to make them believe what my ex-wife believes. I feel like they can make that choice as they grow up. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is very not Christian thought. Like uh, yeah, right. <laughs> because Christians, again, it goes to this idea of rules. And I really struggle with, you know, like, I'm, I'm naturally a rule breaker. <laughs> like, that's just how I'm wired. I've been wired my entire life. And, you know, I think for me, Christianity, when they focus so much on rules and you don't focus on relationship, it's a problem because now you, you know, it's essentially as a parent, if I'm giving my kids all these rules and they have, and then they have all these questions, why? And I'm just like, well, that's the way it is be just because, and I don't have that relationship with them to feel comfortable to ask questions, to explore and that sort of stuff. It just creates an unhealth unhealthy dynamic, you know? And I think we look at stories like the prodigal son and we, you know, this idea, like the father in that story broke all norms of what a father is supposed to be by, you know, allowing his son to come back and him sitting or him, him running towards his son in a gown. Like to me, that story is more consistent with what Jesus is when, especially when it comes to sexuality issues in the church than what they wanted to believe. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it now. I'm like, it's kind of crazy. We even, even like talk about sexuality with kids in that sense. And like, like mm -hmm. I said, I knew what, I knew being gay was gay wrong. Was wrong. I knew, <laughs> you know, what gay was. Yep. And it's like, why, why are we even putting that in kids' heads? Yeah. Yep. Like, yeah, absolutely know, right. These, these lists of things mm -hmm. not yep. to do. Yeah. Well, it's because the church always knows what they're against, but they never know what they're for. It's not very often you can sit down with a Christian and say, what are you for? And they can tell you. They will absolutely tell you they're against premarital sex, you know, kids out of, against kids out of wedlocks, sexual, you know, sexual, sexuality, all these different things. But it's very rare they can sit across them and tell you what they're for. Um, and that's the problem is because we have figured out in the church, we're really good at in the church. And I say we, I just mean by human people, not we as a Christian, but in the church, we've figured out it's really easy for us to start with what, how we're different than how we're alike. And I'm, I think it should be the other way around. How do we start with more how we're alike than how we're different? And, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's how we should be starting. But So, yeah. So as someone, you know, who grew up with the rules, like I grew mm -hmm. up in Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't, I think when I was in my mid-20s, I felt like I chose it, but I'm like, I never, mm -hmm. <laughs> what? No, you, you just chose the thing I had been, fed my whole yeah, life yeah yeah so yeah so like i said i see you and i'm like oh he just looks so happy <laughs> and i'm so happy for oh, you thank you but then also kind of envious because mm. i'm like rich was you know you had everything to right. lose yeah of course <laughs> and you lost it mm -hmm. and you've recovered and you've yeah embraced your sexuality yeah and are living just a more integrated whole life. Absolutely. And I feel like just as a straight person, I, I'm not even able 
to mm-hmm. embrace my sexuality mm-hmm. kind of with the freedom that you have. Mm-hmm. And I think, I know, I mm-hmm. know there are a lot of, you know, womb to, it was supposed to be tomb, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, Christians who grew up with a lot of this stuff and just can't, yeah. haven't found a way to shake it yet. Yep. So like any, Rich, what, what do we do? How yeah, do we... that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think the best place to start from is a place of figuring out, like, I think, you know, it's one of those things of, you know, they always say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different results. And, you know, the best place to first start is really with yourself. Right. And like before for me, like I had to identify, like acknowledge that there was an issue. So I think the biggest thing is like acknowledging that this, there is a problem, but I think most important is like, don't be afraid to live in the moment. You know, I wish someone sat me down at 22, at 25, at 29 and said, it's okay not to have it figured out. Like, it's okay. Like life is life. Um, And I think people have to be able to just walk in the moment. We're often, you know, very thinking in the future. And the church has taught us to do that, right? Because you're groomed from a young age to to think, you know, family and marriage and serving and all those sort of things. And it's like, man, drop the baggage. Like, literally just leave it at the door. (laughs) The biggest thing that helped me and really, and this is like... I am not being paid for this advertisement, but I'm going to say, you know, Brene Brown's The Call to Courage. uh, This woman literally is the reason that I was able to really step into my truth. And the reason I say that is because she helped me understand the power of vulnerability. Right. And so until I was able to understand what it meant to be vulnerable, I was getting up on stage and preaching on Sundays and praying for people, seeing miracles happen, like do all these things. But I wasn't being vulnerable. And she talks, she, you know, she talks about vulnerability as being in the arena. And so for anyone out there who's like struggling, like, man, how do I live my life? And she said, you either have two choices in life. You're either going to be in the arena where there's just inherent risk, right? Emotional vulnerable risk where you don't know the outcome, but you have to get in that arena and you have to fight and be there. Or you sit in the stands and watch life pass you by. And for me, I was like, I'm not going to sit in the stands. Like, I'd rather be down there in the arena, in the mud, fighting for my life and living a life that I want, instead of just sitting in the sitting in the stands and the bleachers watching life pass me by. And so for, for someone out there, I'm just like, man, live in the arena. Like, yes, there's risk. It's, it's un, you know, uncalculated risk. You don't know the outcome. You don't know what's going to happen. But I, I will promise you that in the midst of that, you're going to like, there's going to be some gems that are going to drop in your lap that are going to transform your life. Well, I mean, you're living it, so. Yes. <laughs> but yes, vulnerability, man. Vulnerability is the way to go. That's so, oh, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you. And we're, I feel like vulnerability is one of those things where kind of on the surface, like mm-hmm. Christianity tells you to aim for. Mm. Ooh, but you're then, preaching right now. But then everything you're doing mm. is actually like putting up these shields. A facade, yep. I'm putting up the walls. Yep. And, yep. you know, building, building this facade. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like playing this part yeah, yeah. of when I know what Christianity wants me to be. I know what that looks like. Yeah. And, you know, kind of faking vulnerability because you're yes. vulnerable, Oof. you know, as yeah. that character. Yep. And it's because that the church has gotten really good at using your vulnerability against you. When you actually come and you're vulnerable and you say, like, here's my struggle, the first thing they try to do is like, oh, you need to take a seat. You need to season out. You know, let us pray um, for you. Yeah. And it's like, well, well, if I'm going to be punished and penalized for being vulnerable then like if i can't be vulnerable here then what's the point and so people have mastered like being just vulnerable enough to like skim through you know church and skim through life um because you're often punished and penalized in the church when you're actually vulnerable and go to the you know come to the ultimate with your troubles 
Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that church plant we were part of, I ultimately left because yeah. new people came in and basically mm-hmm. purged the mm-hmm. worship team of yeah. the whole LGBTQ community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that like upset me so much in that was like, nobody, the gay people on this team, nobody came in lying about that. Yeah. Especially. Girl, I think- we could sit here for hours because listen, I'm about to tell you this because I love you. I want, and this is 100%, and I, like, our hand on a stack of Bibles, I, there was a, it was something that I brought up of, like, things need to be very clear because it's not fair to any group of people to not be told what the church's stance is on something and use them for their gifting and their talents and serving, right? And to up, because you, and this is the issue with church plants, and I'm about to let it off real gasket real quick. Church plants are really good with using people to start the church as rocket boosters, and here's what rocket boosters do with NASA rockets. They get them off the ground, and the minute they're floating in space, the, the rocket boosters are dropped into the middle of nowhere. And that's what church plants do to people. And the, those group of people you're talking about, our community, that community of LGBTQ plus individuals was a topic that I brought up, and I just felt like we shouldn't be using them if not willing to be transparent and honest about it. And to hear that, it, it really disheartens and breaks my heart because the church constantly does that they use people for as a rocket booster and then when they're no longer usable it's disposable um and that's a leadership thing you know that's a leadership thing and that's a whole listen we need a whole another hour for that because (laughs) i could go on about church leadership all day long (laughs) well you're gonna have to come back because i would actually love to talk about yeah that because i have so many just thoughts about about church and that and even with you i'm like oh i think part of the reason that it, you were able to leave mm-hmm. was like you had a life outside of the church. You right. had a job and skills mm. like outside the church yes. world. You had something you could go to. Yes. And I'm like, I feel like a lot of these church plants also like Hillsong yeah. traps people. Yes. Get someone they're young. Yep. Make sure they don't have any other education except uh-huh. Hillsong. Yep. And that's church place. planting at its best. Honest, it's really good at, you know, and even that's been, you know, prior to coming to that church where we were at together, I, you know, you know, led another church out very large. And I was the only pastor on staff that actually had real career experience outside of the church world. And that is the, and that's why for me, it's easy for me. Oftentimes when I come into places of leadership in the church that I bump heads with the staff because I'm like, well, no, this is wrong, but it's because I see things from a different perspective. Like I, I see things because I do come from that experience and I do have real world experience. Um, and like you said, the church is really got to get in these people when they're really young and make them, this is the end all be all. They don't have any real life experience or, you know, transferable skills to per se. Um, but yep. Listen, that's a whole nother hour. We're going to get into that. <laughs> so yeah, so we're going to have to turn right around and schedule yes. your next yes. podcast. Yes. Especially, especially as like Hillsong is burning down and we're like watching this. There's just so much insight mm-hmm. that I know you can bring in because I think oh, people yeah. were taught to to submit and we're just yep. taught to honor right. authority yeah. and like and not question anything. Yep. Right. When it comes to things like finances and, you know, and stole that sort of stuff. And like, that's when we talk about transparency in the church. And that's one of the things that really hurt people. You know, I've seen so many things behind the scenes when it comes to like seeing a pastor get paid 150 grand and you have an ad and getting paid 20 grand. Like just, I can't reconcile that. Like you're living, a, you're living way above your means and this person can't even afford a Metro card. Right. Listen, right. <laughs> you're, not, you're not giving them a metro card. Right, right. Yeah. Because I'll get some before and after pictures of a pastor before they was a lead pastor and a, pastor, a picture now. And let's just look at this shoe collection. Listen, I've seen it. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know what happened to my pa- former pastor. Like right. where right. that story is ever unfolding, but yeah. it's it's a mess. Um yeah. and I think, yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that. But I'm like, yeah. I think people also don't realize how much how much money is changing hands behind the scenes. Ooh. Like girl, listen, I'm telling you, I could spill I, I that is we need to have another conversation because that was one of the biggest things that I had to fight for behind the scenes was that helped dealt with financials because of how many of these machines behind the church want a cut of what the church is getting. And you know, right. yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So you okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as we close out this one. Yes. Rich, what is something you believe or believe in? Well, that's really good. Um, I have more and more that, you know, like I have fa- like found uh, an amazing partner who I'm with who I think is my, you know, I feel like he's my soulmate and we have an amazing bond together. And I think he's really helped me um, believe in people more, man. I felt like I was so jaded with being, one, being a New Yorker, you know how it is. We're skeptical of everybody. Like you say hi to me, I'm skeptical. Like, why are you saying hi to me? What do you want? What do you need? And so I think I was just so jaded by people. I think being in the church and being a leader, um, I was just jaded of just like, people always want something, you know, people always complaining. Um, but I think for me, I'm in the season of my life where I am believing more in people. Like I've gotten some really good relationships and really good friendships around me. Um, and so just in this, in this season right now, I'm like believing in people and believing that there's good there. Um, and just, just enjoying being in relationship with people, you know, church relationships are superficial, but now I'm like finding real relationships. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I believe right now. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, Rich, just every, just everything about you. I'm just like, oh. Oh, thank you. Listen, this was so, so good. This was so, so, it was actually needed for me. Like I realized I didn't know how much I need, you know, like this was helpful for, to be able to say these things. So there's power yes. in saying it. There is, there is. And I'm so glad that we're in this place now where people are just talking. Yes. And just talking more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's all, all making the world a better place. I don't have much, I have no faith in institutional Christianity. Agreed. Um, but I, I have hope that there must be some version of it that works because like people, people want it. So yep. they need it. Yeah. I think the best version is going to be the version that you find that works best for you. You know what I mean? And I, and like, just for me, that's what it is for me. It's like, it's not the church building. It's not the, like the lights and music and all that for me. It's just like, man, just being connected with God that works for me for somebody else. They may need something else, you know? And so I think for you, you find what, what works for you, you know, and don't feel rushed and don't feel guilt and don't feel shame. Girl, it is your season and enjoy it and and you will be just fine. So that's that and that's a wrap on episode 2.14. Talking with Rich was so refreshing and such a great reminder that we just never know where people are and what kind of change is possible. As much as Christianity wants to claim to be life-giving, in a lot of ways it actually depends on stasis. It wants people to get to a place where they're sufficiently useful and then just stay there. With this idea that we owe it to everyone else to stay the same and stay where they can see us as they always have or have always imagined. But to live is to change and to grow. So everybody, please, just keep living. So many thanks to Rich for being an even more amazing pastor outside of the church. For some glimpses of genuine happiness brought to you by vulnerability, find and follow Rich on Instagram at IamRich underscore NY. And while you're on Instagram, be sure to check in on whatever I'm up to at God is Not Given. And if you haven't already, or damn it, even if you have, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple. Somebody took time to leave a one-star rating, and hey, you know, at least they thought of me. Anyway, hit the show notes for all the links, tell your friends, be well, and I will talk to you soon.